Welcome to the Word of Life Ministry Wednesday night Bible study via conference call. I am your host, Elder Lorraine Hopkins. Our church is located at 1600 Conley Road in Conley, Georgia, 30288. We invite you to take advantage of our food pantry services on Thursdays between the hours of 10 a.m. and 12 noon and on Saturdays between the hours of noon and 2 p.m. Our weekly conference calls provide a platform for our supporting ministerial staff to share a message of hope and life with the people of God in relation to our church's monthly topic of study. We hope that you enjoy today's service and find something in it that resonates within your heart and drives your love and passion towards our Savior. We also hope that this message enhances your knowledge of God's word and your personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. So sit back, relax, take plenty of notes and enjoy the word. Thank you so much for joining us today. God bless. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Elder Hopkins, for that wonderful introduction. Good evening, everybody. Praise the Lord. How is everyone doing tonight? Giving honor to God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to the blessed Holy Spirit, who is welcome in this Bible study. We invite him to have a free course on this line tonight. I thank God for another blessed opportunity to come before you all on this, on tonight. I thank God for the shepherds of this house, our senior pastor, Elder Dr. Shelly D. Boone II, and our beautiful pastor and first lady, Elder Dr. Jacqueline Boone, pastors after God's own heart. Thank you both for allowing me to be, to come before you and the peoples of God to bring the word of God. I praise Almighty God for everyone that is on this line tonight. I pray that you will not leave off the same way you came on. My scripture tonight is coming from 1 Samuel, chapter 11, starting at verse 1. If everyone would follow along with me, and if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's most holy word. 1 Samuel 11 and 1. And the Bible reads, then Nahash, the Ammonites, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash, the Ammonite, answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reports on all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all the territories of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. Now let us go to verse 9, if you would. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, most holy word. Now let us pray. Heavenly Father, we gather together with hearts of thanksgiving. 
Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here and be in your presence on tonight. Lord, I ask that you will saturate the atmosphere and let your Holy Spirit have his way. Father God, I pray that you would open your ears, open our ears and our heart to receive your word of truth. May they fall upon the very fabric of our lives to inspire, to heal, to teach, and to cling. Open our eyes to understanding and restore and guide our hearts and minds. Bless us with wisdom and knowledge, O God. Lord God, forgive me for my sins, known and unknown, and let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart always be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> do you ever, do you ever, I mean, do you ever have those times when you feel like you need to go to the rock that is higher than I, where you can take your problems and take your burdens and cast all of your cares? You don't need to hit the rock. You just only need to speak to the rock and the water come out. God is the way maker, the alpha and the omega, beginning and the end. He knows the end of the road from the beginning of the road. And he will surely be your guide and lead you in the way everlasting. It is for this reason that I come to you tonight from this subject, hold on, help is on the way. I want you I want you to turn to somebody and tell them, Hold on, help is on the way. Glory, hallelujah. As I meditated and pondered in my heart what I should speak from, what particular passage I changed my scriptures several times, but God continued to lead me back. Each time I tried to go somewhere else. The Lord gave me to understand that there are so many people that are living a helpless and hopeless life. If you ever wonder why so many people do the things they do, why so many people are suicidal and results in drugs and results in alcohol, and so many people every year are listed among the suicidal, some that succeed in taking their lives and others who make vain attempts. It is simply because so many people abandon hope. They feel that what I am into, that there is no way out. There is no escape, and no one really cares what I'm going through. There was even a beautiful illustration of that in the scripture when Jesus, in the fifth chapter of Luke, around the 12th verse, it said, it came to pass while he was in a certain city, that behold a man who was full of leprosy. He saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and explored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That man knew that Jesus had the power, but he wondered whether he had the love. I know you can do it. Do it. I know you got the power but I don't know if you are willing to do it on my behalf. And we live in a world where power is demonstrated in so many ways, but there seems to be a great storage shortage when we think in terms of human compassion and love and certain and, and concern. 
So many people today, they find themselves in a hopeless state. But I want to tell you that it doesn't matter what you are going through. It doesn't matter what you are in. It doesn't matter how bad might be your prognosis. Want to tell, I want to tell you, hold on, help is on the way. Give God another chance because he's straightening out that jigsaw puzzle you call your life. This passage is a page out of the, out of the history of ancient Israel. For God called Abraham when his name was yet Abram. When his family left from Ural, the Chaldean went down into the harans of Metapolia, and the Lord called him out. And the first three verses of Genesis chapter 12, the Lord actually promised him a sevenfold blessing. He was a man who was already 75 years of age, and it was not during the deliberate anti-deliverian period of time before the flood of Noah, when men had a life expectancy of six, seven, eight, even 900 years. But it was after the deluge when the Lord had cut man's days down to 120 years. And even the 90s, the 90s Psalms say the day of man are three scores and ten, which is only 70 years. And if by reason of script, by the, by be, I mean, reason of script, I'm sorry, they be four scores, which is 80 years, that by script and labor and sorrow. But here's God called the man at 75 and said, I am going to make you a father of multitudes. Well, the first question I would have asked, well, Abraham, how many children do you have now? None. He was 75 his wife was 65. They had no child. And God said, out of thee will come multitudes. But God, but one thing I have to notice about God, we try to cause God to act in our time frame. He does not have to act in our time frame because he created time and he knows how long you and I have to live. So finally, when Abraham is a hundred years old and Sarah is 90, God blessed God blessed him and Sarah, and they had Isaac. Well, Isaac, he fathered twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Hey, Jacob fathered 12 sons by actually four women. The wife that he loved, Rachel, was the last one to conceive. Leah, the wife that he hated, she birthed his four, first four. Leah and Rachel handmade Zephas and Bilhan. They also birthed children from him, for him. But the twelve sons of Jacob went down into Egypt and a family as a family. And four hundred and thirty years later they emerged as the nation three million strong. Well God was their king. He was their governor. He was their leader. And Israel became the world's first theocracy. But after a while, after God moved them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses and led them into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they got into the promised land and there were enemies to be driven out. So the Lord raised up a series of judges, for he had to come out 
of the Egypt but sin, because all of us was born into sin and shaped in our iniquities. So God brings us out of the Egypt of sin. He leads us into the promise of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit. But once we are in the promised land, there are still enemies that have to be driven out. The Israelites, they had to contend with the Canaanites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Midianites and the Philistines. But we do not have to deal with them. But we have to deal with discouragement, unbelief. Peoples of God, I need you to really hear what I am saying tonight. You see, even though we are in the promised land, there are those enemies that we have to deal with. So Israel is the promised land. They, they were a theocracy when Moses led them out. They were theocracy when Joshua led them in. They were theocracy when he raised up miscellaneous judges to overthrow their enemies. But the day came when the children of Israel saw the nation round about and they decided we want to be like everybody else. We want a king to rule over us. Now, usually, when we get to this point of ancient Israel, we start talking about Saul as though Saul was some kind of slanderous, unintelligent, immoral creature. But when you first meet Saul, he is not the same Saul that went down to the wish of Edom. When we first see him, he is a very humble man. He is tall. He is statuous. He, is, he stands head and shoulder above all the other men of Israel. And his father, Kish, sent him out to find his lost donkey. And while he was out looking for his father's lost donkey, he found out that he was God's chosen to be the king of Israel. So Samuel anointed him, crowned him as king over Israel. And when Samuel got ready to present him as king of Israel, the Bible say that he hid from them. From his, he hid himself among the stuff. And when they finally found him and brought him forth, and Samuel introduced him as the king of Israel, the Bible says that the end of chapter 10, that Saul went home to Gilead with only a band of men just a small group of men whose heart God had touched. Others said, how can this man deliver us? So if it is automatic that if, as we begin reading in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, that the 10th chapter ends with Israel having doubt about their new king. But one thing I want to tell you tonight, that if God placed you in a position he will allow the proper set of circumstances to arise that will validate your leadership. I need to take about two minutes to encourage that new Sunday school teacher, that new minister, or that evangelist, or maybe it's a new deacon, or the person who was assigned a task by the pastor, or whatever the position may be. You don't have to worry. You know how you're going to do it. You don't know how you're going to do it. Let me tell you that when God sanctioned you 
uh, position, he will allow the proper circumstances to arise that will validate your leadership. You don't have to, to worry. Every journey is supplied by the Holy Spirit. Every person that has a part in the body of Christ, God will validate your position. Now, don't get upset, but everybody cannot be the head. Somebody has to be the last joint on the little finger, and somebody has to be the toenail, but that doesn't matter where you are. You can rejoice knowing that I'm in the body. Is there anyone on this line tonight that can say that I'm glad I'm in the body? So after Saul had been anointed, and he went home to Gilead, and the critics were saying, how can this man save us? The 11th chapter of 1 Samuel opened with Nahash. Nahash the Ammonite. He decided now that Israel would become a monarch. They don't know anything about having a king. He hasn't had time to raise an army. So he decided to go down to a little town by the name of Jabez Gilead and had his men surround the town of Jabez Gilead when the men looked out and saw that Nahash and his army had surrounded their little town. They decided, we can't fight Nahash and his army. So the best thing for us to do is just surrender without a fight. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what the devil threatens. Never give up without a fight. If he tries to take your family, your son is out on drugs, your spouse is staying out all night, your daughter is on the corner selling her very body. Don't give, give in to the enemy and say, well, that's just what happened nowadays. You must have a made-up mind that I don't care how big and powerful your, your army may be. I will not surrender to the force of evil. Know that God will make a way. The, the men of Jabez Gilliam surrendered and said, we will tell you what, Nahash. You don't even have to fight. We will surrender. And Nahash said, I tell you the only way that I will sign a treaty with you if you will have all of your men lined up and I will pluck out their right eye. Now the Bible says that he did this not to weaken the men, but to, in order to lay a reproach. He wanted to embarrass them. Everybody knew that the church had three annual meetings with God. The Lord said that three times a year that all of your men shall appear before me. The place ended up in being in Jerusalem. But at, the, at this time, they were still meeting in Shallow. I wondered how Shallow get, get replaced by Jerusalem. But as I kept reading the book of First Samuel, I understand that Elijah's son, Eli's son, Hotness and Penas, they were priests, but they were not wholly dedicated to the Lord. So when the Ark of the Covenant to the battle, battlefield and when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant, there was nothing to bring the people back to shallow because the art of the covenant present, represented the presence of God. You understand, if it, if it was a little box about two feet wide, two feet high, and about four feet long, 
It was a pot of manna. It was the two tablets of stone upon which was written the Ten Commandments. In it was, a, was Aaron's rod that budded. At top of it was the mercy seat covered with pure gold. And on each end were the cherubim angels facing inward, and their wings covered the mercy seat. And when God would talk to Moses, the smoke would rise up between the cherubim. So as long as the art of the covenant was in shallow, it was the meeting place for the peoples of God three times a year. But when it was stolen, there was no need to go to shallow. I want to tell you that the reason a lot of folks don't want to go to church anymore because a lot of folks go to church, but the art has been stolen. The presence of God is no longer there. Nothing is a greater waste of time than going to church and the presence of God is not there. God wants his people to be able to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and come into his court with praise. And when you begin to praise him, you create a cloud for the presence of God to dwell in. When Nahash said to the men of Jabez Gilead, the only way I will accept your surrender, you've got to line up and let me pluck out the eyes of your men. This means every year when Israel men would meet before God, all of the men from Jabez would come in with one eye, and everybody would have to say they are from Jabez Gilead. But the men from Jabez Gilead said to Nahash, to give them seven days, let us consult our brothers throughout the nation. See if we can get some help. Nahash said, I'm not worried. Go ahead and take seven days. He knew that they would not be able to raise an army. In the meantime, the newly anointed king, Saul, he had gone back out into the field, plying, out plying. And when the men from Jabez reached Gilead, Saul was plying, but the rest of the people in town was weeping and wailing. When Saul came out of the fields and went to the town, and everyone was weeping. Saul asked, what is going on? What is the problem? Why are all of this weeping? And the people told him that Nahash came out around our city, and the only thing that will stop him from attacking us is if the men let him pluck out their right eye. And the, and the Bible says that when Saul heard these titles, he got angry. And when he... When he got angry, the Bible says that the Spirit of God came up on him, and he got angry. The first time that I read that, it really shook me because I used to, you know, used to saying that when the Spirit of God come up on us, we get happy. But I think that, uh, that there are times when the Spirit of God ought to make us angry. Those of us that know Jesus Christ ought to become angry at how the enemy is using our sons and gangs and gun violence, and, and, and we ought to get angry at how the enemy is murdering our young men in the street. We ought to get angry at the enemy is turning our daughters into prostitutes. We ought to get angry how the enemy is turning our streets into drug-infested crime scenes. We ought to get angry at the thing 
that the enemy is doing to us while we claim to be children of God. But we are told in the word of God that these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They will cast out devils. The devil should not be whipping us. We should be whipping the devil. He said, in my name, they shall lay hands on the sick. And every day it seems like I hear someone dying with cancer, dying with diseases, dying with all kinds of sickness. And lately it's been most of the young people that are dying. I think that we should get angry. Tell the devil that I'm not going to take it anymore. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. When he heard that Nahaz was doing, the Bible says that Saul got angry. Does your Holy Ghost ever make you get angry? I know that it caused you to speak in tongues, but I asked somebody, does your Holy Ghost ever cause you to get angry? I think it's time we get angry. Tell the devil that we had enough. I'm not going to take it anymore. Do you know what you have as a child of God? You got power. Jesus said, don't you know what I gave you? I gave you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemies, and nothing by any means should hurt you. Tell the devil to get down where he belongs, under your feet. Tell the devil to go back to the pits of hell where he belongs. Hallelujah. Saul got angry and took a yoke of oxen and started cutting the oxen into pieces and sent them throughout everywhere he said to the men. Of he said to the men of Israel and the men of Judah, do you see the butchering pieces of meat? If you don't come out to me and send to fight against Nahab, the Ammonite, this is what's going to happen to all of your oxen. And don't you know in one day's time, 300,000 Israelite soldiers showed up. 30,000 soldiers from Judah showed up. And they sent word to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said, you don't have to worry about anything that Nahaz said. you got to do is hold on until tomorrow. By the time the sun get hot, you shall have help. I just want to tell someone tonight, don't care what the enemy is trying to do to you. He may be like a big bad wolf. I may huff him and puff, but don't. But just hold on. Help is on the way. Don't throw your life away. Your, your situation might seem hopeless, and there may, may seem like there is no way out. But hold on. Help is on the way. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Just hold on. God is making a way out of no way. God said to the men of Jabez Gilman, if they just hold on one night, by the time the sun get hot, in other words, by noon tomorrow, they will have help. By the time noon arrived, the battle was already over. Nahaz, the Ammonites, and his men were defeated. And by the time the sun got hot, the battle was already over. Hold on. Help is on the way. God is a very present help in time of need. Don't give up. Hold on. Help is on the way. God is your help, and he can use anyone he please. 
You may look you may be looking for your help to come from the east and God sent it from the west. But if you're a child of God, help is coming from somewhere. Don't give up. Don't give in. Hold on. Help. I see help on the way. I see my help is on the way. Let me tell you that there'll be someone on this line that is just about to give up. You think that nobody cares. You think that even God himself has forgotten about you and done you wrong. You have been weeping in the midnight hour, but God knows he sees you when you walk the floor at night. He sees every tear that you cry and every moan. But I want to tell you to know that God can be like David. When David thought that no one cared, he looked to the north, and the enemy was in the north. He looked to the south, and the enemy was in the south. He looked down in the city gates, and he saw that Absalom was leading a rebellion against him. Everywhere he looked, there was trouble all around him. He said, I know what I would do. I would not look to the north, east, south, or west. He said, I will lift my eyes unto the hills from which cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from Jehovah Jireh. Ask someone, do you know where your help is coming from? Do you know that God is a way maker? I'm going to, to praise my way through my difficulty. I am going to praise my way through my trouble. I'm going to praise my way through all of my anxieties and worries. God is our help. He is a way maker. People of God, just hold on. Help is on the way. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for listening in to today's message. We hope that this service blessed your life. Please come back and join us again next time. Have a great day. God bless.